Good morning, everyone. We all cannot deny the fact that um, the church is a place where people relate to one another. We are all in a relationship. But if I were to ask you, what are the goals or the motivations of the relationships that we have with one another in the church? What is the goal? Now, some might say it is companionship. Uh, some might say that it gives me a feeling of self-worth when people relate to me. I feel worthy of somebody's relationship. Uh, some might say that it is, I just don't like to be alone. So I got this good gang of people with whom I can hang out. Um, there can be many reasons as to why we, we invest in relationships. By investing, I mean that relationships are not just transactional. We invest our time, our effort, our money. We make sacrifices to maintain, sustain and grow in relationships. Looking at the life of Paul and his relationship with the Corinthian church, it encourages us to evaluate our relationships with each other in the church. And this morning, I want to show you three important aspects of godly relationships in the church. What are those essential ingredients that must be present and evidenced in godly relationships? And as we look at God's word, it is my prayer that you would evaluate your relationships with others in the church and to see how you can grow in godly relationships. Now we can relate to one another, but are our relationships godly? Paul is writing to the Corinthians this letter because they have doubted his apostleship. They have doubted whether he is a true messenger of God on the basis of his suffering. They look at him as weak. Paul has labored with this church not just to defend himself, but to defend the gospel, his message that he brought to these people. He has visited them, admonishing them. He has written a very painful letter to them. And now he sees that, yes, these are, the, the, the church is, is finally seeing that his, his suffering is not something which should cause them to distrust his apostleship, but as something which confirms his apostleship, both his life and his message. And as we look at this text, we will look at uh, three ingredients of a godly relationship. Firstly, a godly relationship is based 
on the truth of life and doctrine that is dependent on God's grace. It is dependent on gospel-centric life and doctrine. Verses 12 to 14. Paul starts off by saying, For our boast as an apostle, as a group of apostles, their boast or Paul's boast is, is in seemingly very paradoxical characteristics. Paul says, you know, we take pride in the fact or we boast in the fact that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom. And Paul says, you know what, we boast in that. Paul is writing to people who are, who are swayed by what he calls later in this letter as the super apostles who by their outward show of eloquence or charisma have shown to the Corinthians or have caused the Corinthians to doubt Paul. Look at him, look at us. We are not struggling, we are not suffering. But look at that man. He only writes big words. But look at his life. He is running for his life from one place to the other. While they are boasting in their outward charisma, Paul says, my boast is in these two qualities. He says, godly sincerity, which means single-mindedness, no duplicity of intention, a purity of heart and mind that seeks the good of the Corinthians. Sincere, godly Sincerity, simplicity, he says, my boast is that I have lived in the world with sincerity, with simplicity, which means transparency. I've got nothing to hide. I'm not hiding the fact that I'm suffering or struggling, that I'm being afflicted, that I'm being whipped and beaten. I'm not hiding those facts. What I received, that I gave to you. I am not here for any personal gain. I am not here to make a name for myself or to build a following. I am here to faithfully convey as a conduit the message of God which I received from Jesus Christ to you. Paul has also demonstrated his simplicity and transparency in just the previous text as we saw last week, where he said, you know, when I was in Asia, we were in such a horrid situation that we despaired even of life. He's not hiding, hiding anything. And Paul's, and this is Paul's boast. And he says that, you know, Earthly wisdom would tell you, Corinthians, to, that, you know, a leader's boast is in his perfectness or in his being above the others. Or the boast of a leader would be in the way that he can argue his eloquence, his choice of words, 
his abilities. But if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which he has already written to them. And the last verse of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul says, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And chapter 2 verses Verses 1 onwards. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is Paul's boast. Paul's boast as an apostle is in his weakness, is in qualities that the world considers as foolish and weak. And he said, we kept ourselves away from any earthly wisdom or fickle-mindedness. And that is our, our boast. And he says, that's the way. That is the way by which we related to you and supremely so. We did not want our relationship to be based on lofty speech, wise words and mesmerizing. But our relationship was to be founded on the gospel. On the weakness, on simplicity, on sincerity of presenting to you the gospel. The gospel is about a suffering Messiah who ultimately died and rose again. And that was our message and our life attested to it. Paul's relationship with the church is to be, he wants it to be, and he boasts that it is founded on the gospel, both his life and his, his message. In verse 13, he says, For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and acknowledge, keeping in line with our boast in godly sincerity and simplicity, we are not writing to you hidden things. There is no hidden motive that I have in writing to you. What you are reading as I write, what you read is what I mean. There is no duplicity. I am not trying to use words to manipulate you towards myself. No, that's not my intention at all. If I were... If I were earthly minded, then I would be more concerned about your respect for me. Or I'd be more concerned about having a good opinion that you should have towards me. And to that end, you know, I, I will play around with words or experiences or try to, try to portray myself before you as 
a hero a superhero that's not his intention that's not his intention at all and paul says that and 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 i hope you will acknowledge and you will fully acknowledge as you did partially acknowledge us that on the day of our lord jesus christ you will boast of us as we will boast of you paul is writing in the context of them at least most of the church now acknowledging him as an apostle in spite or by his suffering and he says as you guys have partially acknowledged our hope is this that as i write to you about my simplicity and godly sincerity you would see that i bear in my body the marks of the gospel the suffering of christ that my message is authentic so that on the day of the lord jesus christ when it really matters on that day our relationship would not be based on things which are going to crumble and fall which the fire is going to burn away but our boast in you if it is founded on the gospel that is going to sustain the fire that is going to stand before the lord that is going to please the lord and paul's paul's urge to them as he writes this is that on that day you know our hope is this that you will boast of us what does that mean that you will boast of us saying that you know what we got the best apostles paul was our apostle you know peter yeah yeah but we boast in paul no he has already addressed that in 1 corinthians who is paul who is apollos they're all servants of god but paul is asking them or he is hoping that your boast in us as we stand before christ on that day will be that yes he is our apostle yes he is our apostle yes he is the messenger ordained by god who suffered like christ who was afflicted and yet was faithful who comforted us in our afflictions as we shared in his sufferings that's the boast that they would accept him in his suffering and affliction and not despise and reject him and in accepting him his life and his doctrine they would accept the gospel you will boast of us and we will boast of you that yes we lived in a way before the corinthian church that caused them to boast in us and boast in christ because what we presented to them was genuine not mixed up not mixed up you see if the corinthian church would reject paul they would be rejecting christ this is not about a man this is about the office of the apostle it was jesus who called paul 
and said, I am going to make you my servant, my messenger to the Gentiles. And I am going to make you suffer. He was appointed by God, by Christ, for the mission of Christ. And now if the Corinthians are going to be wise in their eyes and say, you know what, because he's suffering, we're going to reject you. They're not rejecting just Paul, flesh and blood. They are rejecting God's calling upon him and the message that Christ has ordained and given to him to convey to them. That's, they are bound together. They are bound together. Paul boasts in his weakness. Because as later in this, in this letter he will say, it is in my weakness that the strength and the power of God is perfected. The fountain, the foundation of Paul's relationship with the Corinthians was nothing external. It was the weakness and the strength of God which is portrayed in the gospel. This morning, dear brothers and sisters, what is, what are your relationships founded on? God has given this church leaders, elders. And I would encourage you this morning to accept, love, pray for your elders and submit to the elders on the basis of God's grace in their lives. Paul says that this simplicity and godly sincerity is by the grace of God. We didn't manufacture it. Are you looking at your elders and comparing them on external factors like eloquence, good looks, flamboyance, charisma, the ability to mesmerize you. Or their spotlessness. Are you judging and relating to your elders on the basis of ah, they are, they are perfect, you know, they are perfect. So they are worthy of my relationship. Particularly in this day and age where through social media you get to see in a 45 minute sermon some of the most flamboyant and charismatic sermons. There may be a thought which comes to you, I wish my pastor would preach like that. Accept your leaders who boast in their weaknesses so that the power of God would be manifested through them. Accept your leaders who boast in their weakness so that the relationship, so that your faith is founded not on their abilities, but on the raw gospel, the word of God. Pray for them. Your elders... And preachers and pastors are not superheroes. They're not meant to be. They are real people. They're not superhuman. Afflictions in their lives are real. 
problems in their lives are real. Love your elders and pray for them. God who, has, who is at work in them is the only true superhero. Elders of cross-cultured church depend on the grace of God. You need not be awesome in many respects. You need not have skills that the world considers as, as must-haves for an orator or a counselor. Godly sincerity and simplicity is what you need. Your weakness is for God to display His strength and thus confirm the gospel. Don't hide your weaknesses. Don't try to be perfect with the intention of getting a name for yourself. Are you struggling with that? You know what, I, I'm over that stuff. Don't peddle the gospel. Depend on God's grace. Rejoice. Rejoice when you are accepted by the church. Not on the basis of awesome characteristics, but on the basis of the truth of the gospel that you present. Then, on the day of Christ, you will boast in the church and the church will boast in you. May our boasting not be on any external characteristics, but on, on the gospel. At the same time, church, evaluate your relationships with one another. What will you boast of when you who are placed into this church among fellow saints stand before Christ? Is your relationship based on likes and dislikes? Similar cultures? Is your relationship based on those who can make you feel good? Let your boasting in the relationships that you have be founded on the gospel which is displayed in a message as well as life. Don't hide your weaknesses. Don't try to be awesome. Don't try to behave as somebody pretend to maintain a relationship. Godly relationships in the church are founded on gospel-centric life and doctrine, which includes being weak, taking pride in our our weaknesses because the, the power of God is manifested in, in them. Secondly, 
Godly relationships are founded on God who is faithful in keeping His promises. Verses 15 to 22. Now Paul presents to them his reason for a change in plan. Towards the end of the the letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells them that, you know guys, I'm I'm, I'm writing this to you and you know my plans as he usually writes, I want to come and visit you. I'm going to... Uh, you know, from Ephesus, I'm going to Macedonia, and then I will come to you. And I'm, I'm, I don't want it to be just a fleeting visit. I want to f- spend good time with you. That's what he wrote about a year, a year and a half back from the time of this writing. And now Paul has changed his plan. He has changed his plan. He's not visiting them. He's not visiting them because a lot of things have happened in between. So now Paul gives a reason as to why he changed his mind. But he is not defending himself, saying that, you know, I changed my mind because of these these, these reasons. Now what this change in plan has resulted in is it has fueled these super apostles to sway the church away, saying that, See, this is the Paul you guys really want to hold on to. First of all, he is weak. Look at him. Look at him. He's running from pillar to post, just trying to save his life. Very earthly minded. But now, see, he's even changed his plans. How can he be an apostle of God if he's changing his plans? Is he driven by the Spirit of God? Or is he driven by his. His, his, the seasons of emotions that he's having. Is he fleshly minded? How can you believe in somebody as authoritative, bank your life upon the message of a person who's changing his mind? Isn't he fleeting? Now Paul gives a defense as to why he changed his mind. And first, he gives a theological defense. As to why he changed his mind. Remember, Paul could have always said, Paul could have always said, you know what, um, guys, uh, although I said that I will come to you, I will stay with you, um, but you know, isn't it all contingent on if God wills? God willing, I will come and I will uh, stay with you. If you look at Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 7. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. There, I put the clause over there. Why are you making such a big deal? I said, if the Lord permits. Ultimately, my plans are directed by God. But Paul does not make that defense. He is not here to personally defend himself. He is not making that defense. Paul's concern over here, is that if my change in plan is causing them now to doubt my apostleship, then they are doubting my message. Then they are doubting the gospel. There are a lot of doubts and I need to clarify that. I need to clarify that. Now we need to again remember 
Paul is not just anybody else. But he is an apostle appointed by Christ. A very special man. A very special calling to take the message to the Corinthians. And if they reject Paul, if they reject the apostle of God, they are rejecting the one who sent him. They are rejecting the message that he is carrying. That's his concern. So now Paul, he defends. He defends himself. So first of all, he says that because I was sure of this, that you know what, our, what we presented to you was, was the authentic gospel in life and in doctrine. Godly sincerity and in simplicity. Because of I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of, of, of grace. Now Paul knows that, you know, if I come to you, it's going to be for your benefit. It's only going to clarify things more and more. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. And he explains that further. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. So this was his idea. Visit them once and then come back, visit them again and then go. But this plan changed. He didn't go. He didn't go. And that was the problem. So now he asks them a rhetoric question. And he's going to answer this not just in defense. But he's going to instruct them. He's going to correct them because he loves them so much. So let's look at, look at uh, what, what he's, how he defends himself. He starts off in verse 17. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes and no, no at the same time. He says, I said, yes, I will come to you. But now I am saying, no, I will not come to you. So does it mean that I am vacillating? That is, you know, wavering. Wavering from yes to no. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Morning yes, evening no. That kind. Was I vacillating? Or do I make my plans according to the flesh? Am I fleshly minded? Saying yes, yes and no, no. The double yes and double no is, is nothing but an oath. It was a way to express an oath. That is, am I promising and giving you an oath saying yes and then changing my oath? No. Uh, that's the problem. Right? That's the problem. Now he defends himself. It's very interesting as to how he defends himself. He first of all appeals to the nature of God. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. It's not been yes now and no later. It's not been yes and no. And notice that. He says, as surely as God is faithful. He's appealed to the faithfulness of God. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Let's move on. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. The second thing that he does is he appeals to Christ. He brings Christ into the picture and very interestingly, he says Christ and he addresses Jesus Christ fully 
that is Jesus Christ, but he also says son of God. Very interesting as to why is he bringing these names. God is faithful. And now he says, for the son of God, Jesus Christ. So let's understand this quickly. The son of God, Paul refers to as the eternal son of God. And then he also put Jesus and Christ. Jesus, Messiah, Savior, Christ, anointed one. So the eternal God who in time becomes the Messiah. And he has been anointed, appointed for this very purpose. He's talking about incarnation. God is faithful. And now the son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus who became man. He is the Messiah, the eternal God, became man. He is the Messiah, the suffering Savior who was promised, who suffered and he also died. Why did Jesus do all this? Because God had promised a Savior. Whatever Jesus did, his incarnation, his life of obedience, his suffering, his death, all of it was to fulfill the promise which God made. God had promised a savior. God had promised a rescuer. God had promised that his people, though they are in sin, would be with him. Through the sacrifice of the lamb. So Jesus fulfilled all the promises. Now as Jesus suffered and died, it seemed like the promises of God which were yes. Yes, Jesus did this. Yes, Jesus doing this according to the plan of God, the promise of God. And as Jesus died, it seemed like the yes became a no. It seemed like God's plans were being thwarted. How could the Savior die? How could God die? How could the Anointed One die? How could the Rescuer die? And it seemed like the yes now becoming a no. But Paul says over here, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, Timothy and I, we proclaimed you, the Christ who we proclaimed you was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Why? What confidence? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus rising from the dead was his vindication. Jesus rising from the dead was more like a stamp that all the promises of God have now reached their fulfillment in Christ. Death has been defeated. The grave has been overcome. Sin is no longer master. But Jesus has conquered. And his resurrection was more like a yes, yes, yes on all of the promises that were made. Why? Because God is faithful. Because God is faithful, he makes a promise, he doesn't change. 
he doesn't change and hence paul paul says because as surely as god is faithful our word to you has not been yes and no god is faithful it is his nature if he says something he does it and it is through jesus through jesus who suffered and died that all these promises came to be true verse 20 for all the promises of god find their yes in him in christ all the promises find their yes in him it is in christ that all the promises find their yes and that with that confidence he says and that is why through him we utter our amen to god for his glory we the apostles we utter our amen which is aligning to affirming so now paul says that we the apostles we as apostles we affirm that yes all these promises have come true in christ through his death through his resurrection verse 21 and it is god who establishes us with you in christ and then he goes on to 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 explain how god the god who is faithful god who has 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 fulfilled all his promises the god who through christ has made all his prom- promises yes and yes and yes it is this god this faithful god this christ this son of god who has anointed us it is this god who has caused us to say amen to the glory of god god has called us as apostles god has, has has put his seal on us he has said this is paul my apostle when a king would put his seal on a message it would be as if the king has spoken the messenger is just a carrier the messenger would be welcome as if the king were to be welcomed a representative it is god who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit you say that i am fleshly minded and i am vacillating between yes and no 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 god has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee god has ordained us as apostles as the carriers of his authentic message so the corinthian church would be wrong in saying that does paul make changes just like that oh he changed his plan so you know what he's not an apostle paul is is defending his apostleship 
leaning upon the nature and character of of god paul's argument over here is if you believe that god is faithful and christ in christ all his promises have come yes and we say amen through that that while it might seem that my change of plan has become has turned a yes to no but you know what they're not fickle minded to just change it based on some earthly concern the change of mind that that we have had is for your benefit it is for the purposes of god while you might look at paul and say that he changed his plan but don't you remember god who is faithful don't you remember are are you not leaning upon the son of god jesus christ who fulfilled all that promises and are you ignoring the fact that it is this god who establishes you and us together in christ what are you guys thinking you're looking at the change in decision as an as an earthly change of mind completely ignoring that there is god who is faithful at work and he has anointed us so our yes and no is not going to be based on some 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 earthly reason our yes and no is is in fact going to work for your benefit to to fulfill the promises of god in your life and hence it is a yes it is a yes so that's the that's the argument over here but if you notice paul did not defend himself saying you know no you guys are mis- you're misunderstanding me let me give you a reason you see you're doubting the very very messenger whom god has the faithful god has appointed so if you're doubting me on these reasons you are completely doubting christ you are completely doubting a god who is who is faithful what we can what we can learn about about godly relationships from from paul's dealing with with the corinthians in this in this manner over here is many times we we completely neglect the nature and character of god in our relationships our arguments our defenses are to save our skin to make us look better in front of the others which shows a deep seated distrust in what god is doing when we keep the mission at the center of our lives like paul we will do whatever it takes to clarify the gospel it is futile to have arguments on wishes wants likes dislikes expectations failures look at what god is doing in each one of us to establish us in christ Paul is not concerned about what they think about me 
Paul is concerned about do they understand the gospel properly? Do they understand? Do they appreciate the gospel? Is the gospel clarified in their lives? Think of it as uh, in your families as husbands and wives. The conflicts and issues that you face. Are you more concerned to win the battle? Are you more concerned about, you know what, end of the day, I need to stand right. Or end of the day, I need to make sure that they have a, at least not a bad opinion about me. Or are you concerned that the way that my spouse is acting is not in line with the gospel? And let me labor let me labor, putting down my pride, let me labor and pray, let me labor and discuss, let me labor and confront, let me labor and urge, plead that the fruit that they are bearing is not in line with the gospel. Does not show forth the characteristic of God as faithful. Is not in line with the work of Christ, the promises of Christ which are yes in their life. Sometimes we just don't want to forgive. You better teach them a lesson. Don't forgive. Look at our own lives. The promise of forgiveness is a yes in Christ. But we say no. The promise of reconciliation at the highest degree between God and man is a yes in Christ. And that's what the gospel is all about. But we say no. Think of the times where we under rug issues. I say, let me just maintain status quo at home. As long as there is no fire, I'm fine. So let's avoid all those things which cause us to rub against each other. What will you boast of when you stand before Christ? Your ability to avoid contention? Your ability to use words to pacify the situation? Or your dependence on God to through suffering exalt the gospel. To labor to clarify the gospel and the work of Christ, the promises of Christ in the life of the spouse. Which leads me to my third and, and the final point. Which is godly relationships have their goal in mutual joy in the standing firm in the faith. Now Paul gives a practi the practical reason of why he changed his mind. For I make, for, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. 
Paul made up his mind not to cause a painful visit to them. He wrote a letter to them. It was a very painful letter. He says in the last in, in verse 4 I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart with many tears not to cause you pain but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Here's the thing. They are doubting his apostleship. They are doubting the gospel, they are doubting Christ. Paul now writes to them and calls them to repentance. He calls them and he tells them, guys, you have, you're messing up, guys. You're just so earthly minded. You're so earthly minded. You're being swayed by these, these super apostles. And he writes to them a painful letter. Puts them into pain themselves. But why? Why does he do that? He says, We work with you for your joy. For you stand firm in, in faith. Paul afflicts them so that they would repent and accept him. And by accepting, accepting him, accept the gospel or clarify the gospel and accept Christ. But to that end, he afflicts them. Godly relationships have in mind the mutual joy that comes through standing in faith. And to that end, to that end, it involves sometimes hard talk. It includes inflicting grief. In ungodly relationships or earthly minded relationships, they are very selfish. Somebody is doing something wrong which is not in line with the gospel, it's their problem. You know what? If I confront them, they're going to our relationship is going to be spoiled. Our friendship might end. There is a difference between godly grief and worldly, worldly grief. When the goal is selfish and not gospel-centric and not seeking of joy, then the goal is yourself. And we inflict and we speak words with the intention to condemn somebody. That is not a godly relationship at all. There is no godly concern. There is no confidence in God's promises at all. No motivation in the gospel at all. But when you relate to one another for each other's joy, your concern is whether the other person is standing firm in the faith or not. To that end, you will admonish and rebuke them. You will not be passive. You will not be passive. Like Paul, it will pain you. 
to see that the gospel is not being displayed in my brother or my sister's life at all. Evaluate your relationships. As husband and wife, parent and child, members of the church. Are your relationships founded upon the joy of the other? And Paul says to the church, that you know what my joy is? My joy is in your joy. When I see that through my affliction, through my writing a hard thing to you, that you realize the gospel and you worship Christ and you honor Christ and live in a way that is bearing the fruit of the gospel, man, that is, you're going to be joyful and I'm going to, I'm going to be so joyful. My joy is in your joy. Having a godly relationship for the mutual joy in the standing firm of faith also includes receiving rebuke. When rebuke is not taken, considering the work God has done and what God is doing and has promised, it will result either in bitterness or self-pity. Think of the times where somebody rebuked you for something that you were doing. And you know that this person who is speaking to you believes in God, loves Christ and is saying this for your good. And think of the times where you put those defenses, defense mechanisms around you. Who is this person? How, can, how dare he say this to me? On what basis does he say this to me? Or whatever you've said, you've said, but it doesn't apply to me. You know what? The right response to a godly rebuke is repentance and mutual joy. And Paul does not put his relationship first. Not that, you know, that, hey, Corinthian church, let me go easy on you. I don't want you to have a bad opinion about me. No, he wrote them a painful letter. And 1, 2 Corinthians 7 talks about the result of that letter. That that letter caused godly sorrow which led to repentance. And hence Paul is writing, man, when I heard about that, I was so joyful. I was so joyful. So Paul is writing here that the change in plan that I had Yes to no. I didn't want to come there again and keep hammering on you. I chose not to come. Because I had afflicted you already. Now it's God's turn to work to turn your hearts. This yes which the Corinthians seemed looked at and said, hey, he's changing yes to no. He's, he's vacillating. When you see the result of it, you say, it is a yes. It is a yes because God's promises for the Corinthians to, to draw them to himself happened because of Paul's not coming. Dear brothers and sisters, 
how do you respond to correction how do you respond to rebuke when your elders speak to you certain hard words how do you respond now paul is in a unique place he is the apostle of christ your elders are not apostles when you receive rebuke from your elders what is your authority you go to scripture and you see oh yeah what what my elder says is in line with scripture and hence not for the sake of your elder but for the sake of god's word you repent you change at the same time when your elder rebukes you or says something hard to you you just reject it god has not just called the elders to rebuke you god has called one member in the church to rebuke another admonishing teaching making disciples of each other invest develop relationships that are godly that take you from one step of godliness to the other beware of relationships which appear godly but there is no power of the gospel in them there can be many relationships that you have which seem godly and one of the mark of a godly relationship as we have seen is a unashamed dependence on the gospel one of the mark of a godly relationship is practicing the gospel which includes afflicting and being afflicted because that brings out weakness that brings out sin and it is in that weakness and sin that the gospel is applied the power of the gospel unto salvation is applied so beware there are many relationships which appear godly and you might take pride in being associated with person x y and z but if that relationship is not godly either rebuke or move away it's a waste of time so evaluate your relationships evaluate whether your relationships are godly or not remember that the confidence to suffer is that for a believer the confidence to suffer is the path to believers joy and to the glory of god it is a pattern that is exemplified for us in christ in paul and also now we see in the corinthians suffering unto the glory of god 
may god receive glory and god alone receive glory for the suffering repentance restoration in this church as we live out godly relationships to the glory of god let us pray father we are amazed at the work that you have done in each one of our lives and the mercy that you have shown by placing us in the midst of fellow believers we know lord that your goal for us is to transform us into the likeness of your son jesus i pray lord that you would help us to develop godly relationships in this church relationships that are not concerned about mere friendliness but are concerned about our eternal souls strengthen us lord in our relationships help us not to be deceived by the appearance of of godliness but help our relationships oh lord in this church between members between elders between the congregation as a whole to be a demonstration of your power and your faithfulness in our lives to you be the glory lord in jesus name amen